0: Welcome to Unlocking the Truth. We are excited you are joining us in this podcast by Preset Ministries Canada to discover God's truth for yourself and to know him deeply. You are listening to the series, Follow Me with Mark Sheldrick, where we will look at six characteristics of a true discipleship of Jesus Christ and his call to follow him. We encourage you to study along with the 40-minute Bible study, Being a Disciple, Counting the Real Cost. You can find this 40-minute Bible study on our website. Now here's Mark Sheldrick in Unlocking the Truth. Hello, everyone. It's Mark Sheldrake here, and this is another episode of Unlocking the Truth podcast. This is a ministry of Precept Ministries in Canada. So thankful for you to be tuning in again this episode. We're working our way through a series on a true disciple of Jesus Christ, and I am thankful for the feedback that we're getting on this podcast. Thank you for emailing us. And you can continue to email us if you like at info at preceptministries.ca. We are—I cannot believe it, folks—we are in December. Where did the year go? And so, yes, it's December already. And this time of year, uh, we begin to think about uh, the ministries and the ministries that have impacted our lives in the ways uh, of giving. And so I would encourage you that if you have been uh, challenged by the podcast, if you have been blessed by the podcast, uh, or one of our Precept Bible studies, would you consider uh, giving to Precept Ministries in Canada uh, this December? Uh, We are raising our funds for next year's ministry, and we are so thankful that we can continue to put out podcasts like this as well as offer all of our training workshops at no charge, and so our hope is that we will raise more, uh, raise up and train more than six hundred people uh, next year in our in-person and online workshops. Of course, we hope for even greater numbers than that, but we have set uh, some goals to raise uh, around fifteen thousand dollars. We just came through Giving Tuesday. We're thankful for the blessings that came out of that wonderful day and uh, lord willing the lord will bless us and and cover all the expenses we need to do to do ministry in 2023. So you can give uh, by going to preceptministries.ca and click on the donate button and we are thankful for any gift that is given uh, to the ministry to make a greater impact in our country. Uh, let me pray for our time together and then we will dig into the text. Father, we do thank you for all that we are seeing in the text. Father, we're so thankful for the topic of true discipleship and just seeing what uh, it is like to be truly following after you with all our heart. And so, Lord, as we walk through this next episode, episode three, would you guide us and direct us uh, in your scriptures? Would you speak through me into the microphone, out to the people, and then all of us would be challenged to, to be more like you each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here we are, episode three. We are making our way through six episodes on true discipleship. And if you want to follow along and study, you can pick up the book, The Cost of Being the Being a Disciple, The Cost, uh, The True Cost of Being a Disciple. You can find that in our web our web shop. So here's where we've been so far. We've got the call. Uh, When uh, the disciples were called, they dropped everything and followed after uh, Jesus. Then we have, uh, last episode, the cost. And what Jesus is calling us to do is give up everything and deny self and follow after him. And this week we look at the commitment. The true commitment of what it means to follow after Jesus Christ. What does a true disciple look like? One, they understand the calling and they are obedient to the calling. Two, they are one who counts the cost. All right. They they evaluate everything and determine, yes, everything is worth giving up to follow after Jesus Christ. And then the true disciple is one who is going to commit to follow after Jesus and to Really hangeth thou in there until the end. this this great call to commit to uh, Jesus. All right, so here's uh where we're headed in this episode. We're taking a look at Matthew chapter seven. And in Matthew chapter seven, we are going to uh, look at some very familiar passages once again, uh, as we walk through the text. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 uh, to 29. You know, we're kind of living in this age right now where commitment uh, is not really something that is really, really discussed. If you think about how uh, commitment is done these days, uh, we'll see that there are people who who really can't commit to things long-term. Let me give you a couple of examples, well, we're seeing that uh, relationships, when it comes to uh, marriage, we see that people often give up their their marriage and their commitment that they've made in marriage for whatever reason. We seem to see in the, in the world of the Hollywood people uh, amicable splits. One of the big ones that happened just recently is with Tom Brady and his wife have broken up and uh, no longer together. So long-term commitments, will there be a day? Will there be a day in our world where we fail to see something that I saw within my own family, which was absolutely amazing, was a more than, uh, about a 65 year uh, wedding anniversary. Will we see 65 year wedding anniversaries in our future? Uh, we're seeing that that commitment is often broken. Here's another one that, that doesn't have to do with marriage, but the cell phone commitment, all right? The the two-year plan and people who are uh, not wanting to hold on to their two-year contract because companies like Apple release the bigger and better phone each and every year. And so how do I get out of this commitment to get the bigger and the better phone, uh, all of these commitments that are being made uh, are easily trying to be to be broken. So uh, you know, we used to have in the day with my buddies the old the old handshake commitment. But even the old handshake or the old verbal commitment is is broken and it is not kept. But whereas what we're seeing through. Jesus' eyes, and through God's word, we're seeing that true disciples—they understand everything. They understand the cost. They understand the call, and they understand the commitment. And so, we're going to look at this this chapter, uh, Matthew chapter seven, verses thirteen to twenty-nine. And as uh, one scholar wrote, he said, "There's three tests to determine." whether you are a true Christian coming from Matthew 7. And we're going to look at these three tests together and determine the call and the commitment that there is um, to Jesus as being a true disciple. All right, let me, let me dig us into the passage here. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 13. Jesus says, and this is the end, before we get there, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So this is the end teaching, uh, which brings about the, you know, the climax of the teaching is right here, and he says in verse 13, "'Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction.'" And there are many who enter through it uh, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. All right. So what we want to just pull apart here and we want to look at just the first test. All right. And so the first test that comes from verses 13 and verse 14 is the test of self-denial. all right, so what are we talking about here? That goes back to what we looked at last week. Are we willing to be people who will deny ourselves? You see, what we've come up to at this point is that as we've looked through this study on discipleship, Jesus has really had some heavy teaching on the topic of discipleship in Matthew chapter 10 verse 38 he says, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before you. And then, In in Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 to 3, he says, These things I've spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. All of this is really heavy teaching. Remember that Jesus told us that we would be scourged and we would be beaten, and some of us would even face death for uh, following after him. And then in last the last episode that we looked at, we looked at the whole counting the cost. Do you really know what it means to follow Jesus? Are you really going to completely deny yourself and follow after Jesus? And so what Jesus is saying here— is really uh is there two possible ways to enter into heaven all right so he's talking about two gates and and what is assumed okay at this point and to this audience that there is two ways to enter heaven all right so the narrow gate and the wide gate assume that both these gates are at the entrance of the kingdom of god and these two ways are offered to the people Uh, The narrow gate. Let's look at the narrow gate first. All right. So the narrow gate is the gate that is entrance of salvation by faith. All right. So uh, everything narrows down that the only way through this gate to the entrance of the kingdom of God is through faith in Jesus Christ in his death burial and resurrection. So you have to really make your way to get through this gate at the perfect spot. Now, I've got to go back and I've got to give you an illustration of this. So back when my daughter was really young, when she was just a young girl learning how to ride a bike, we would take her out on the trails that are around here. And so on the trails at each 1.6 kilometer section of the trail there is a gate that you've got to go through and so of course the gate Is also one, it is narrow, but it is also wide. So the gate is made for a pedestrian to walk through, or a person to run through, or ride their bike through. And then, of course, there is a wider gate that opens for the truck to be able to go through the gate, check the trail, clean up the trail, and make sure that there's no trees that have fallen down, etc. So my daughter and I, we are having a great time riding our bikes. And we come to the gate and we come and the big wide gate, of course, is always closed so that nobody can ride their, their drive their car through that when it is constantly being used by pedestrians. It's only to be opened when service is to be done to the trail. And you see every gate, uh, narrow gate on this trail is off to its side. And so as you go through that gate with your bike, you have to be so precise. You've got to be so clear in going through that gate because if you don't go through that gate without, you know, that perfect section and that perfect spot and that perfect speed, your bike will hit the cement posts with the handlebars and then you are in a mess. And so here we are, we are riding and of course I've rode this trail way more times than my 8-year-old daughter at the time and I make the curve and I get through the trail no problem at all and of course there's my daughter and what does she do? She catches her handlebars on the edge of the of the gate entrance and does a spectacular wipeout falling off her bike and then falling into the little ditch that's there. And wouldn't you know it, for years and years after we've kind of rode our bikes and gone through this trail, she can't, she will continue to say to me, Hey, Dad, remember that time? Remember that time I hit the, the gate and I went through and I fell down to the ground? Yeah, my handlebars were just slightly off going through and I've never done that again. And what Jesus is saying here is he says, it is so precise for you to be able to go through that narrow gate. It is so small and there's only one way. And that true salvation is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And when you see this, it tells us that as we go through the narrow gate, uh, this is the one that leads to life. Well, you might be saying to yourself, but what about the wide gate? How can there possibly be two wide gates? Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that Paul, when he was writing the book of Romans, and as Paul wrote the book of Romans, he addressed this with the Jewish people about salvation by faith. And what Paul continued to do, and he used Abraham as the example in chapter four, that it's not by our works or anything that we do that gives us the entrance into heaven. But it is not works that justifies, but it is Christ's blood that brings about justification. And so the, the second assumed wide gate entrance is through our works. And so we know that there is nothing absolutely nothing that you and I can do to enter into the kingdom of heaven without being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that first test of the narrow gate and the wide gate, the wide gate, uh, one scholar gave it the title, the wide gate is the gate of self-sufficiency and the narrow gate is the one of self-denial. Do you see the difference? It's it's like we pick up from the previous episode and we drop right in here and we keep going back to the very fact that you've got to die to yourself. And that is one of the true tests of salvation. That is one of the true signs of a true disciple in Jesus Christ. Well, that's a lot of truths, but you've got to lay that out. If you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you understand that the first test is the test of self-denial. It is that you have left everything behind to follow after Jesus Christ. All right, let's look at the the next test that comes through. And and this is uh, verses 15 to 23. And listen to what uh, Jesus says. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Uh, Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, I will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles." And then I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, uh, who you who practice lawlessness. All right, so this is this is really uh, interesting, and I, you know, I never picked this up until I began to study this passage again for preparation for this podcast. But you see, in the first test, there's two gates, and in the second test, there's two trees, and so the second test is called the test of the spiritual fruit. It's very interesting that Jesus starts this with a discussion of uh, false prophets who come into uh, your presence in sheep's clothing, but really they're just ravenous wolves. Uh, One scholar uh, said it like this, false prophets do not only mean false preachers who proclaim a false gospel— but they're primarily false professors of the faith in Jesus Christ. Their inward nature has not changed. They mere, merely wear the outward guise of the sheep. <laughs> uh, do, do, do you see what's happening here? Um, because this again shows my age, and I can't believe, I can't believe in 2022, some of these amazing cartoons from my childhood are banned from the television. You remember the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote? Well, Wile E. Coyote also had a secondary cartoon on the Looney Tunes. The Looney Tunes, folks. Bugs Bunny has been canceled, apparently. And so here on the Looney Tunes, there was a cartoon, and it was about a sheepdog and and the wily e. coyote, and the coyote constantly tried to get at the sheep. And if you've ever seen the cartoon, the car, you know that the cartoon is that the the sheepdog never was kind of thwarted, or you know he he knew that wily e. coyote was doing things. But in one cartoon here, wily e. coyote thought he had it. He thought he had it, and what he thought he had was he put himself in a sheep costume. And so he went out into the group of sheep trying to disguise himself as a sheep. And he's moving around. And, and just when you think he's going to get a sheep for himself, the dog is standing right there and recognizes that there is a coyote amongst the sheep. <laughs> this is what what this scholar is telling us is that amongst all of the believers, there are those who don't just uh, prophesy falsely or teach falsely, but there are people who are really not Christians at all. It's their inward nature hasn't changed. They just look like sheep on the outside. They will profess that Christ is Lord. They will do the religious things that they do, but they have never really been saved. And so as Jesus is warning us about these people, uh, the book of Jude says, certain persons crept in unnoticed into your love feasts, and now they're stirring things up, and they're after their own sordid gain. Jesus is telling us that, there are going to be those among the true disciples who were never really disciples. They were never really followers of Jesus Christ. They just look the part, but they're not really a part of team Jesus. And so the question becomes, well, how do I know? How do I know who is a false believer or not? And Jesus says, you look at the two trees. And so the two trees that he's talking about are the tree that bears good fruit and then the tree that bears bad fruit. All right. And so let's just look at the fruit that comes from a true believer. And so the first we can look into the book of Galatians. And in Galatians chapter 5, verses Twenty-two and twenty-three, uh, it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such such things there is no law. And so the first is that you've got these fruit of the spirit that come right here in the book of Galatians. So if we are true believers, we are living out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Uh, we're gentle, We're sweet, and we have self-control. All of these things uh, so prove us to be a Christian. Well, let's look at uh, the book of 2 Peter for a minute, because 2 Peter also lays out some qualities of a true Christian. And he says uh, in verse chapter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason apply diligence in your faith supply moral excellence you know this is the bar that is set before us this is this is the good that we are uh, in your moral excellence in your moral excellence supply knowledge continue to grow in the word of God. And as we grow in the word of God, look what it says in verse six, and in your knowledge, self-control, you begin to have self-control. Did you, did you hear self-control before? Yes. It's one of the fruit of the spirit. And so you've got self-control in your self-control, perseverance, another one, perseverance comes godliness. And in your godliness comes brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness for love. So as I grow in my relationship with God as a true Christian, as a true disciple of Jesus, the more I grow in my faith and in the knowledge of God, as I supply moral excellence, I start to build self-control. I begin to be able to say no to the things of this world. And as I get more self-control, I learn to persevere and hold on and stand firm. And as I stand firm, then I then become more godly. I begin to fear God and revere God and want to live a life that brings glory and honor to him. And as I love God and I love God beyond my heart, in my heart, soul, and mind, the outflow of that love for God becomes a fruit that is to love my brothers. It is to love others, and out of that, I have more love in my life. This is what a true Christian looks like. Uh, We have the fruit of the Spirit, and then we also have the fruit of our lips, the testimony that we have when we praise God for what he has done in our life. In Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 15, listen to what The author of Hebrews says about what we say and through the testimony of our lips, he says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and no root of bitterness is springing up causes trouble and by it may be defiled. And so the fruit of our lips, you know, what we testify with our mouth, we're not, we're not complainers. We don't say the wrong things and we don't gossip against people. All of these things are the testimony of a true Christian, one who lives a life and speaks a life that is honoring of God. If you want to know more about the tongue, go back and listen to our podcast on the book of James, because it is very convicting to see how we as true Christians uh, and believers of Jesus Christ are to live our lives and how we are to speak. All right, now let's look at the third fruit that comes from a true Christian, and it is how we live. All right, so it is by our fruit, by our speech, and then by how we live our lives. And so we want to look at the book of Romans, and Romans chapter 6, verse 22, Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 22, and listen to what the text tells us here. Uh, But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, uh, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome of eternal life. We are constantly growing and living that holy lifestyle that brings glory and honor to God through our actions that we are going through the process of sanctification. We're constantly getting rid of the bad and bearing more fruit for the kingdom of God. And so we are living through this process of of sanctification, and the outcome of this holy living is eternal life. All right, let's look at the, the next one, which is, as we grow And one of the signs of a true Christian is what we do for the kingdom, all right, is is the works that we accomplish for the Lord, all right? So now we can see that part of the fruit that comes from the tree. It is what we will see in what we do, and let's look at the book of Colossians, and Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 10, and listen to what Paul says here, all right? Let's, let me start at verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk, uh, will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is all about our service. It's the, the way that we walk and the way that we talk. Which is a f- fantastic 40-minute Bible study that you can find in our e-store. Walk the walk you talk, and so we can't just profess with our mouths and then live a completely different life. We can't profess with our mouths that we are that Jesus is our Lord, and then be off gossiping in the corner and not using our mouths mouths to produce good fruit and to prove our testimony and praise God for what He's done in our lives. We can't be a true Christian and not live a holy lifestyle. We must be different than the world. We've got to stand out from the world. We've got to be countercultural. And as we're countercultural and we do good works for the Lord, it brings us to the final sign, the final sign of a true Christian in Jesus Christ. And that comes into what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 13. And he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, uh, that I've often planned to come to you and have been prevented so far uh, that I may obtain some fruit among you, also even as, as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul's greatest desire, as he tells us in the book of Romans, was to preach the gospel. And he wanted to preach the gospel to places that had not been preached before. Uh, We see through the life of Paul that he was so heavily focused on getting the gospel out because he knew that the gospel was the power of God for salvation, that it was through God's word that lives were being completely transformed by the act that was done on the cross. He saw so many people come to salvation when they believed in the gospel, and this was Paul's mission. And you and I, as professing Christians, as true believers in Jesus Christ, our mission—and we're going to talk about this in the next couple of weeks—that our mission is to populate heaven and plunder hell. Our sole focus is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And as true Christians, when this becomes our focus, we are going to see fruit That comes out of it. It's going to be coming out of our works and not only what we do for the glory of God, but also in the way we make an impact on others. So a true Christian is one who's not dressed just in the outer. It is a true transformation. It is the test of self-denial, one who has moved away from the wide gate of self-sufficiency into the narrow gate of self-denial, And we test this going through the narrow gate by the fruit that we bear. And so we have to look at our lives. Am I bearing fruit for the kingdom of God? Or am I one who is just merely wearing the sheep's costume and walking through the religious processes of religion versus truly understanding what Jesus did for me? and then living in a way that so honors the sacrifice that was made on the cross. You will know them by their fruit. Well, if you step out for a minute from the scriptures that we're looking at, look at the world. Look at what the world worships. Look at how those around you are—what kind of fruit are they producing— And when you see the fruit that they're producing, I hope and I pray that when you look at that tree, you say, that's not one piece of fruit that I would like to pick off that tree. We want to be people who are bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. All right, let's look at the final test that comes. And of course, these verses, I guarantee these verses you have seen before. All right, so let's look at verses 24 to 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone hears who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Uh, When Jesus had finished these words, uh, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, and he was teaching them as one having authority, uh, and not as their scribes. Okay, well, let's just pause here for a moment and and let's look at the very fact of what we've walked through and so we we've walked through the very fact that there are two gates a wide gate and a narrow gate the wide gate of self-sufficiency and the narrow gate of self-denial then we come through two trees uh, two trees and one tree bears good fruit and one tree bears bad fruit And the one that bears good fruit in line with the kingdom of God will have life. And then finally, we come down to two builders and two houses. Uh, One scholar explained it that both houses that are built are identical. All right, so both houses are completely identical, but they're just built in different areas. All right, and so the third test that comes is the test of obedience. All right, so there are two types of houses and two types of builders, and I live in this uh, neighborhood in Ontario, and uh, we are on a street, and across the street from us, in the in another survey, they call it the cookie cutter survey. And the reason they call it the cookie cutter survey is because all of the houses look the same. I remember one time when my wife and I, we were traveling in England and I thought, you know, it'd be really great to wake up nice and early in the morning and take a run around London and determine where uh, some of these great places were to look at before uh, my wife would wake up. And so I got ready and I got my little headlamp on because it was still dark and I stepped out the door and I said to myself, the landmark that I have here is that it's, I wasn't going to be able to remember the street. I thought I just got to remember the White House with the construction uh, tarp out front. Remember the White House with the construction tarp out front and only turn right. Whatever you do, just keep turning right and you'll end up in a square. Well, wouldn't you know it that in that neighborhood, just like my cookie cutter neighborhood, every house looked the same and there must have been 10 houses under construction with some sort of construction tarp. And this is back when I really didn't have cell phone data for international travel and I was lost. I was lost. I had no idea where to go. And so eventually made it back to where I needed to be. But all the houses look the same. It's the same here. All the houses, uh, they look the same. And these two builders, they represent two different men. Okay, they got the same materials. They got the same plans. And when it's all said and done, they've built two cookie-cutter houses. But one house, when the storm comes... That house is basically destroyed the the house falls apart and it breaks and there's nothing left uh, Think about looking at some of this footage that came from the hurricanes in the United States to watch these houses that were that were built on the shoreline. We saw it happen in Canada as well where, Houses built near the shore were completely destroyed when the waves and the storm came up. It's quite devastating to watch as a house floats down a river and is completely destroyed going to a bridge. One house, of course, was built on a rock. And that house that was built on a rock when the storm came... The house did not move. Well, think about this as being two men, one who is built on the sand and one who's built on the rock. When I was reading through the scriptures, did you start singing the song? Did you start singing the Sunday school song? I'm not going to sing it now for you. Otherwise, you'll probably turn this off and stop listening because of my poor, poor singing. But these two men, they represent two two ways. And what it looks like is the one man as he built his house on the shore when things got tough. When when things got difficult for for this house as the storm came in, it all washed away. And then the other one of course when the storm came no problem. Well, think about it and you put it into relationship with Jesus. You have one man who builds his faith on Jesus Christ. He builds his faith on the rock, and no matter what the storm comes, he he holds firm, he stands, and doesn't get moved and rocked by the wind and the waves of life. He doesn't get moved and, and pushed around because why? He's a true believer in Jesus Christ. But then there's the one who, who built, them, built their house on the unsure foundation. Maybe that's by their works or by whatever they do, but not built on the rock. And when the going gets tough, they walk away from what they believe is their relationship with Jesus Christ. When difficulties come into their faith, they walk away. Because why? Because their faith is not In the rock. Their faith is in some maybe religious act. Their faith is not grounded on God's word and their belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so a child of God is one who is proven that their house, that they're still standing as they come through the storms. Of life, uh, James talked about this as being a true Christian is one who's not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. I love what one scholar wrote on this very topic. He says, Go through your Bible and note how many false believers always fall away in the time of testing. The mixed multitude in Israel wanted to go back to Egypt when things became difficult in their journey. Many of the so-called Christians in Rome deserted Paul at his time of need. Yet note how the true believers stand regardless of the test. Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Peter, Paul, many others proved the reality of their faith by standing through the storm. Why? Because their faith was built on the rock. And so this test of obedience, it's, it's what we've built our faith on. It's, it's where we stand. You see, if we stand on the ground that is self-sufficiency, when we try to go through the gate that is the wide gate, you see, everything comes crumbling to the ground when the storms in life come. But when you go through the narrow gate, the one of self-denial, the one where you truly understand the call to follow Jesus, to become like him as a disciple, that when you truly understand the cost and you weigh the cost, that it is to deny self and to die to self and follow after him. That is through the narrow gate. And then when we look at our lives and we do, are we walking through the narrow gate? Are we, did we go through the narrow gate? Are we that way? Well, we test it, and we look at the fruit that we bear in our lives. And then the test of obedience is, are we going to stand firm with Jesus until the end? I've shared this uh, on this podcast, but also I've shared it in a couple churches that I've been at for a number of years. But I used to live on a crescent. And this crescent, every winter, the the kind of uh, snow clearer of the plow would come, and he would pile all the snow into the middle of the street at the end of the crescent. It was a massive hill. I mean, for for an eight-year-old, it was a massive hill. We would climb that hill. We would toboggan down that hill. Uh, we would have a great time playing on that hill in the middle of the street every winter while well, we used to play a game when we were there and it was called king of the hill and i don't know if you've ever played king of the hill but it is a fantastic maybe it's a boys game but the king of the hill and the purpose of king of the hill is whoever's at the top of the hill and whoever tries to get up that hill you try to remove the guy from the top of the hill by pushing him down and you take your position at the top and you see, what I would do is I would have a secret little trick for winning King of the Hill. I would dig holes and put my feet in the holes, and then I would surround snow up onto my knees. And then anybody who came to the top of the hill, I was so firmly planted into that hill that no matter what happened and they came, if they came against me, I would just push them down. And they couldn't move me. All I had to do was move my shoulder to the right or to the left or the front or the back. Nobody could push me off of that hill. And I went for like three weeks king of the hill. It was amazing. I was so proud of myself for for standing firm when all my buddies were trying to push me down. You see, that's the house that's built on the rock. It's, It's built on the king. And no matter what happens in our lives, no matter the circumstance, we're going to remain obedient to him. When the storms come in life, we're going to come through the storm without any, without any issue. Yes, we might have some wounds. We might have some bruises, just like I did when I was king of the hill. You might be sore as you come through it, but you know what? Your house is still standing. Unlike the one who built their house on the shore. And so we need to stand firm. We need to hold fast. And so many true believers, many true believers, they're doing this right now. Standing firm, holding fast until the end. No matter what comes against us, we're going to stand. You see, these are the marks of a true Christian. These are the marks of a true follower of Jesus Christ. They're ones who know the call, they count the cost, and they test their commitment. They understand that it's all about self-denial. They see fruit coming from their lives, and their house is built on the rock. And they will stand firm even in life's most difficult moments. Let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you for your truth, The words that of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount, He shows us again and again what it takes to be a follower of you. Lord, help us to be people who live that life of self-denial, who do the test of the fruit that we bear. May we be people that glorify and honor you in all that we say and all that we do, And may we make an impact for the kingdom through the way we serve you. Father, we thank you that we have your son, Jesus Christ, and that through his blood, we are saved. That this is the way to eternity through your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to stand firm. Help us to build that strong house upon the rock. May we stand firm even in the most difficult days that come before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, friend, for joining us in today's podcast of Unlocking the Truth, the podcast channel by Precept Ministries Canada. Visit our website, preceptministries.ca, to further your journey in His Word by registering into a Bible study class, a workshop, or leadership training that will give you the tools to know God deeply, and live differently.